You know, I think as a parent, especially with little babies, you start to learn that you can do things tired. You start to realize I can still get a training session in tired and I do everything else in my day tired. So why can't I train tired? Welcome back to the Hard Bad Athletics Inside and Out podcast. I'm your host, Derek Batman. And today I am interviewing a fan favorite repeat guest, Joelle Cabanero. Last time Joelle was on the show, we talked about a myriad of different health and fitness topics, as well as took a deep dive into her transition from teacher to business owner and health and fitness expert. This time around, we tackled two topics near and dear to both of our client bases and to this audience, getting off the weight loss merry-go-round and prioritizing health during trying and stressful times. This was the first time I set an agenda with a guest as I normally like to allow for free flowing conversation, but I was really happy with the way this episode turned out. So sit back and get ready for another enlightening episode. Hey everyone, real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a huge shout out to our amazing sponsor, Lucid Branding Solutions. If you're running a service-based business and looking to boost your profitability, you'll want to hear this. Lucid Branding Solutions is your go-to partner for transforming your business's online presence. They specialize in creating visually stunning media that's not just eye-catching, but tells the story of your brand in a compelling way. But that's not all. In today's digital world, having a strategy is key. Lucid Branding doesn't just throw ideas at the wall to see what sticks. They craft tailored digital media strategies that align with your business's goals, ensuring that your brand not only gets noticed, but remembered. And let's talk about leads. We all know how crucial they are. Lucid Branding optimizes lead nurture systems, ensuring that from the first point of contact, your potential customers are engaged, informed, and ready to take action. Plus, in a world driven by data, Lucid Branding Solutions stays ahead of the curve. They provide top-tier data insights, giving you a competitive edge and keeping your business at the forefront of your customers' minds. So if you're ready to take your service-based business to the next level with a branding strategy that's as smart as it is stylish, visit Lucid Branding Solutions today. That's www.lucidbrandingsolutions.com. Trust me, your brand deserves this kind of brilliance. Now let's get back to the show. Joelle, welcome back. To be back. Yeah, last time we spoke, we were both in a very different phase of <laughs> life, and much has transpired since that time. Uh, how is it being a mom of two? Oh, man, it is super fun. Um, we're in the two under two gang, which is all sorts of just complete and utter chaos. Uh, but it, it is really a lot of fun. So it's it's been an amazing uh an amazing process, more so in between daycare illnesses. Like it's, it's great when we all feel great. And when our two-year-old brings home her daycare germs and oh so graciously shares them with the rest of the family, um, I could do without that part. But other than that, we're great. <laughs> you, so you mean like those two weeks in this entire eight <laughs> months and change that you have felt yes. <laughs> not yes. sick. Right. For the, the eight days this entire year that we haven't been sick, um, we're feeling great. <laughs> <laughs> I can 1000% relate to that. And I'm honestly very happy that I'm not on this podcast speaking nasally. Uh, yeah. If this was last week, that, that would have been our reality. Um, yep. 
Tis the season. Gotta love it. Tis the season, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you getting back on the show. Um, in our in our first conversation, you know, we dove into so many topics, but main goal for me was to kind of expose our membership base, or I should say our audience, to uh, level 10. And ironically, uh, my wife has signed up with you since that podcast, and she yeah. has absolutely loved that being a part of her journey after giving birth, and she loves working with your team. So kudos to you Thanks. guys, and thank you for taking good care of her. Of course. Yeah. With that said, we are going to take a little bit different of an approach for this episode. Um, and we're both really excited about it. So what we did was we kind of identified some common ground that we have recognized as being some larger scale common issues that we see amongst our, um, our membership bases as coaches. And we wanted to take a really deep dive into these subjects both because this is, you know, the appropriate time of year to, to discuss these things being we are shooting this um, in late December, um, but this will air sometime in January or early February. And with everyone kind of in this rethinking phase of their of their health and fitness journey, it is an opportune time to talk about things such as what is a, ma- a weight loss merry-go-round and why do people get stuck on it, which is one of the big topics that we're going to discuss. And the second one being how to prioritize health and fitness during stressful times. And I know as new parents, <laughs> both of us can relate heavily to this one. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're good. So I guess my first question for you is how would you define the weight loss merry-go-round? Uh, yeah. So, so kicking it off with, with a great topic there. Um, the weight loss merry-go-round I think is, is something that so many people can identify with, whether they're a beginner, whether they're intermediate in the gym, or maybe they are even, you know, let's say an advanced weightlifter. I think for a lot of people, the merry-go-round ends up being more so related to their nutrition than their fitness. I think that for people who like fitness and fitness is a part of their life, I think that those people don't have as much of a problem with getting workouts in as much as they do staying consistent when it comes to nutrition. I think nutrition is the the hardest piece for a lot of people, um, especially if you're already some sort of, you know, health and fitness enthusiast, right? But there are still people that really, really struggle with an all or nothing mentality. And I think this that all or nothing mentality can happen in both fitness and nutrition. But I think where we see that merry-go-round, that start and stop, that diet starts Monday sort of mentality really comes down to this black or white thinking or this all or nothing mindset when it comes to health and fitness. We are either go, 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 go. I'm on it. Diet starts Monday. I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to get in the six workouts a week and I'm going to track all the macros and I'm going to prep all my meals. And then we do that for like a few days and we're like, okay, this doesn't feel very sustainable. This doesn't feel good. I'm really sore. I don't like this meal anymore. Whatever the reasons are. Um, I think when we have this all or nothing mindset, we can get really stuck in this start and stop, start and stop. And usually what that says to me as a coach is whatever we're starting isn't really sustainable for whatever chapter of life we're in, because if it were, we wouldn't feel the need to keep stopping and starting over. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I, I another piece I wanted to kind of a string I wanted to pull on a little bit here is the setting of expectations. I think a lot of this merry-go-round exists because of 
this incorrect setting of expectations when people are getting started with something and then not meeting them, getting disappointed, hopping off, and then getting mm. back on. So how, what kind of advice would you give for people that are maybe starting their fitness journey or re- starting or rethinking the way that like maybe their approach towards their, their nutrition? How can we help people better set correct expectations? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question because it, I, I, when someone asks about realistic expectations, it's so hard to tell someone uh, what's realistic or unrealistic without knowing what their expectation is to begin with, right? So uh, a solid rule of thumb, I, I chatted about this the other day with someone, if you were to have a specific goal, I like to say time-wise, expect at least double whatever you initially think it's going to be in terms of timeline. So if you say, you know, I'm going to sign up for coaching because my wedding's in three months and I want to be in shape for my wedding, you need to at least double that. Like give yourself at least six months is, is what I say. Um, and that's for a few reasons. One, usually it's because the initial timeline is unrealistic in terms of what amount of progress we can achieve in what amount of time. But the second part to that is that life happens and things are not going to always go as planned. You might get sick. You might have a kid who gets sick. You might have a trip that comes up across those few months. You might have a job change. Like life happens and they're going, there are going going to be periods of time and periods of life where you are more or less consistent or where you have to modify your training intensity or your training frequency or how stringent you're being with tracking macros. And so when we bake in a little bit more time, we take off a lot of pressure that we were putting on ourselves to see X amount of progress by X date. And so my rule of thumb is to always at least double, maybe even triple whatever you thought the initial timeline should be at least double it because I think that allows you to bake in one a more realistic expectation from the get-go but also two it it allows for life to happen and for you to not be perfect 100% of the time because that's where we see that same merry-go-round come back in when we are expecting ourselves to be perfect and part of expecting ourselves to be perfect is well I have to be perfect because I only have 12 weeks to get ready versus I have six months to get ready if I have an off week it's going to be okay yeah, that's a great point. You know, and it makes me think about also the the benefit of extending this time horizon out in the way that it, it can actually change our perception of how difficult this feels mm. moment to moment. Because if we're only reducing our caloric intake in small increments over the course of six months or longer, how we feel on a day-to-day basis in terms of energy, our ability to perform, our ability to take care of our kids or, you know, just perform normal daily activities are all influenced by how close, or I should say how much of a caloric deficit we are in. So Mm -hmm. a good example of this is if you ever talk to somebody that's done some sort of like bodybuilding prep, and they are in the later phases where they're really cutting their carbohydrates down. They're being incredibly mindful over every bit of food they're putting in their body. They will tell you it is one of the most miserable experiences you could <laughs> possibly go through. You are exhausted to the point where you don't even want to get off the couch to go across the room and grab the remote. You right. feel cold because your body's not even producing heat appropriately. There's like all sorts of major negative effects. And I think right. that in that case, those people are making those associated trade-offs knowingly. 
right? Yes. Whereas if people go into too far of a caloric deficit, let's say January one kicks around and they go, I'm cutting 500 calories a day, all of a sudden, all of these negative effects they feel day to day start to make the thought of losing weight not worth it. Because at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. even a short term weight loss goal is in the realm of three months, three months of feeling like shit is not fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the other point to that, Derek, is like those people who are in competition, in competition prep, who are in the depths of dieting, those are people that love fitness and love their sport with every fiber of their being. When we talk about the general population who does not need to be dieting to those lengths and does not need to be miserable for the sake of a trophy, um, we have to really uh, be careful with what types of protocols we're following because we shouldn't expect gen pop, right? We shouldn't expect the average person who wants to lose a few pounds to have to go to the depths of hell of dieting in order to see the progress that they want to see. So I also want to differentiate like the, the people who choose to feel that way for a competition. One, those people who those are people who love fitness with every part of them and they're willing to do anything for that trophy. And I respect that. But that same level, I I think that a lot of people, the average person thinks that they need to have that level of grit and determination and discipline in order to achieve their goals. They feel like they have to be miserable if they can, in order to make any meaningful progress. And that's not true. And I think that's part of that black or white thinking. I think that's part of the merry-go-round is thinking that it has to be extreme. It has to be daunting. You have to be miserable in order for it to work. And I know we both come from mindsets of like, your health and fitness should be sustainable. It should be enjoyable. You should be able to enjoy food in moderation. You should be able to take rest days. You should be able to enjoy your training. But that's never the sexy answer. People are like, what should I do? What diet should I follow? What workouts should I follow? And we're like, oh, the workouts that you enjoy. What diet should I follow? The one you can stick to. Well, how many days a week should I work out? Well, how many days a week do you want to work out? Like those are never the sexy answer for people. People want the flashy thing. And it's usually the flashy thing that's unsustainable or too extreme or doesn't apply very well to the general population. Yeah. And I think there's an aspect to this too, where when people do go the extreme route, they don't recognize the harm that's inflicting on their Mm. self-belief in their confidence that they can even be the type of person that can be sustainably fit and healthy. So a Mm. a good way of thinking about this is if you go in and you go super hard on your fitness and your nutrition and like your meal prepping everything. And you're like, I'm only eating 50 grams of carbohydrates a day. And then a month goes by, it makes you miserable and you quote unquote, fail to your standard Mm. that you set and back to that unrealistic expectation. Now you've conditioned yourself to believe that you're a failure in your fitness and nutrition. Whereas if you create different levels of expectations and create more of a sustainable fitness and nutrition journey, you're doing the opposite. Now you're creating these little wins that look like I got 30 minutes of extra sleep yesterday. I added a thousand steps to my day. Things that while in the moment seem so incredibly small over the course of a year add up to be exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And another example of that, Derek, is, you know, when when someone signs up to work with us, we send them over, you know, like an onboarding questionnaire. And one of the things we ask is, you know, we're we're 
doing an intake of like exercise history, dieting history, things like that. And so we ask, you know, how many days a week are you currently working out? How many days a week would you like to be working out? Like when I create your workout program, how many times a week you want to be working out? And I can't tell you how many people who are currently sedentary or are currently struggling to be consistent in any sort of way with their workouts. Those are the people who are writing on their questionnaire. I want to be working out five, six, seven days a week. And we're like, mm mm. Like, while this is a custom program and we are going to create what is suitable for you and what you want and what you enjoy, we're also going to be the first people to say, you are not going from zero to a hundred. We are not going from sedentary to five days a week because it's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel sustainable. Let's see if we can stick to twice a week, even first. Let's see how that feels. Let's see how you're recovering. Let's see what your energy levels are like. Let's see what performance and recovery are like, sleep, et cetera. And then we can always build from there. But let's give the client confidence to get in those two workouts a week consistently and then be able to say, hey, do you want to add a third? You seem to be hitting the two workouts really well. You seem to be really enjoying your training, recovering well. Should we add in a third? And now that client has increased self-esteem, is feeling great about themselves, great about what they can accomplish versus saying, yeah, sure, here's five days a week. And now we're 12 weeks into coaching and you've never once hit that five days a week. And now you're like, the program's not working. This sucks. I can't do it. I don't feel good about it. And this is the, the one of the greatest benefits of having regular check-ins with clients right. because life changes. And I think it's really easy to lay out a plan for the next 60 or 90 days and believe that everything is going to remain the exact same. All the variables are going to stay static from now until the end of this thing. Mm -hmm. And therefore I'm going to achieve X result, right? Because it is kind of X's and O's on paper, but then life gets in the way. Family life gets crazy. You have some stress at work. And all of a sudden, like there's adjustments that need to be made and people are, feel married to the plan, right? Yep. And again, speaking to the example we used earlier, there are people that will make the sacrifice because it is something that like fitness is 80% of who they are as a person. Right. But for the majority of people, it's like now's the time where we need to make the alterations necessary to make this sustainable in this very moment. It doesn't mean that you're you're not trying. It doesn't mean that you're not working towards your goals. It just means that we need to take an approach that feels sustainable for you. Yeah. And, and on that note, you know, you bring up something interesting, which is that People don't feel like they can make progress unless they're doing something extreme. And I think that in and of itself is problematic, but it also brings me to a thought about maintenance phases and how there was, I mean, when I first got involved in fitness, there was this like preconceived notion that like you had to be bulking or you had to be cutting. No one was talking about maintenance phases. No one was talking about like bringing calories up after a dieting phase. And no one was talking about, Hey, you can still make progress at maintenance. I think people hear the word maintenance and then just immediately associate it with complacency, not realizing that there is so much progress that can be made at caloric maintenance. It doesn't mean progress maintenance. It means caloric maintenance. And we can still be establishing better habit habits, um, focusing on health behavior change, getting more consistent in the gym, 
eating more vegetables, you know, doing more cardio, whatever those behaviors are. I think people feel like they have to be doing something extreme. They have to have a 20 pound weight loss goal, or they have to be training for a marathon. And you can just want to improve your health without being at any sort of caloric extreme or without any sort of extreme goal or like the goal to want to be fitter or healthier is enough. And I think a lot of people get tripped up on that. I'm so glad you said that because I go out of my way to celebrate maintenance phases with my clients because we, we talk about how it's the underpinnings of all of the habits and behaviors they have in place, despite the fact that they are stressed out and have a million and one Mm. things going on during the season of their life. So that when they do want to make more of a granular, more focused change, that's going to take more of their time and attention. They don't have to go back and relearn all of these behaviors. And that speaks very highly to this merry-go-round that we're trying to get people off of is that what's missing more times than not is the underpinning of the behaviors and habits necessary to make any sort of a change to your, your physical fitness. Right. Yeah. The the foundation has to be built first. If someone comes in to, you know, you know, as a coach, someone comes in and they're like, I want to diet, I want to lose 20 pounds. And it's like, Hey, we haven't even established like sleep, (laughs) sleeping enough or managing stress or what's a macro or we vegetables are, we haven't touched one since 2017. Like we need to establish the basics first before we can even dive into what that deficit phase is, because the deficit's going to be entirely unsuccessful if we can't nail the foundations first. And so, you know, I've come to, to even like a few weeks of just establishing consistency in the first week, first few weeks of coaching. And then once you've shown me that you can be consistent with the basics, cool. Then we could talk about manipulating calories and potentially entering a deficit. But there are, there are almost things we need to check off first. You know, there are things that we have to be able to accomplish and be consistent with first before we start talking about calorie manipulation. For sure. Yeah. And another piece to this is how can we interject joy into the experience as Mm -hmm. much joy as possible. And I think this is something that gets missed too often, which is you're far more likely to stick with the thing that you find fun and gives you joy. And if that means that your workouts starting, you know, for just for argument's sake here on January one, include you walking more often with your dog in places that bring you joy then that's the beginning to your fitness journey. I think, you know, again, it's this misassociation with, I have to feel extra sore. I have to be miserable from my workout. I need to feel utterly exhausted Mm. in order to feel like I'm making progress. And ultimately those things are actually the greatest deterrence from people sticking with things long-term. Yep. Yep. Prime example of doing things that you enjoy and making the effort to stick with something that you enjoy. My husband and I had a conversation recently of like, you know, I I should really be doing more cardio. Like I have not been doing as much cardio as I, as I should be probably like the last few years, I'll be super honest. Um, and you know, when I, when I first started lifting and I was like, I want to get so jacked and like, I want to be a bodybuilder, you know, years and years ago, it was like, you know, don't do cardio, it will kill your gains. And like, now I'm in just a completely different phase of fitness where I'm like, we still have to have cardiovascular fitness, like we still have to be heart healthy, even if we, you know, have hypertrophy goals or strength goals or whatever it is, you know, hybrid training can coexist It's a whole other, a whole other thing. But for me, I don't like to run. 
I like to go on walks, but like I need to do something more intense than that. I need to get my heart rate up more than that. And so um, I like spin. I like spin class. I like being on a bike, but I'm like schedule wise, me getting to a spin class a few days a week is like next to impossible. Like there's just, I, I don't know how I could possibly inject that into my day. And so my husband and I talked about like, well, if you had a bike at home, would you do it? And I was like, honestly, if we got a Peloton and there was like an actual instructor leading me through a class, I, I would do that multiple days a week. And so Black Friday, shout out to Black Friday deals. They had a Peloton Black Friday deal. I was like, cool, getting it, getting a Peloton. And now I've already been on it and, um, and it's so much fun. And I'm like, now I'm looking forward to doing cardio again because I put myself in a position. I'm not, and I'm not saying if you want to do cardio, like everyone has to go out and get a Peloton. But my point is put yourself in a position to succeed. Put yourself in a position to engage in something that you enjoy and engage in something that you know you could stick to. I love spin, but I know that showing up to a spin class multiple days a week with two kids at home is not really going to happen for me. So how can I bring that to my house and then make it more sustainable from there? It's so funny you bring this up because I had to have, you know, a, a talk with myself a few months back as to how I was going to kind of curate my training plan to be able to realistically fit into my life now. And, and guys, for everyone listening, like we've both, Joelle and I have been in this space for a very long time mm -hmm. and we are now, you know, in large part because of our families growing, <laughs> are having to make some of these adjustments to our own training programs. For me recently, like I have been focusing mostly on upper body bodybuilding for the purposes of I don't have to warm up that much. So I can get in the gym mm. and get moving quickly. It's also easy to do if you're lacking motivation. So if my daughter woke me up last night, or I've got a million and one things going on with either of my businesses, it's easy for me to squeeze in an hour, an hour 15 and get right to work and not be dreading going into a a squat session where I got to do six sets of 10 at 65%. And I'm just like dreading the hell out of it. Um, yeah. And then on the flip, like I enjoy sprinting. I don't enjoy long distance running as much. I know that long distance running is good for me. I know long duration zone two cardio is good for me. But right now, getting in a 20 to 30 minute sprint session is something I look forward to. And I know it's something I'm going to do multiple times a week, regardless of my level of motivation. So this is not going to be what my fitness looks like forever, just like I'm sure that what Joelle is currently doing for her fitness isn't going to be what it looks like forever. But we're making the adjustments necessary to make it as enjoyable as possible and as realistic as possible right now. Yeah, I, that's such a great point. And, and the other thing that I want to add to that, Derek, is that I think we can also get really caught up, especially if you consume a lot of health and fitness content. And maybe you consume uh, content from evidence-based coaches or people who have, you know, who are PhDs in exercise science. We can get really caught up in what's optimal, quote unquote, optimal. What's the most evidence-based? What's the most ideal? And I think even as what I claim, you know, I, I, I consider myself an evidence-based coach. I have a background in exercise physiology. I know what's optimal, right? I know what the research says is the best to do in terms of what to eat, when to eat, you know, how to train, what type of exercise, morning versus night, whatever. But what we lose in that is practicality. And just because something is optimal 
in the research doesn't necessarily mean that it's practical or ideal for this current chapter of life for you. And so it's optimal to eat a full meal and have you know, plenty of protein and carbohydrates in your body before you go, go get a training session in, you know, research says have, have protein, have carbohydrates. It's going to be great for performance. Okay, cool. Well, that's not what my day looks like. I wake up with two babies and, uh, I have, you know, a half an hour before I got to, you know, drop one up at school, bring one somewhere else and get to the gym. And I don't have time to, to consume a whole meal, digest a whole meal. And, uh, you know, then go get my training session in. I have this time to get my workout in. And if I can't go at that time, it's not going to happen at all that day. So for me, it's okay. Well, what can I do that would be practical, um, and still helpful, maybe not optimal, but better than nothing. And so for me, it's okay, well, let me at least throw down some carbs. I have these like applesauce go-go squeezes, right? That, uh, I'll throw down two of those because it's quick and easy carbs. It's not a lot of fiber. It's easy to digest. I don't have to worry about fats slowing things down, but carbohydrates are protein sparing and it's going to be great for performance. And that's better than having nothing. And it's better than having a full meal in my belly and then not feeling good for my training. So just, you know, prime examples of even if it's not optimal, that's practical for me in this current chapter of life. Yeah. And while evidence-based in the micro, at the micro level, in terms of the X's and O's of what it is we're choosing to do with our nutrition and fitness, I think if we zoom out mm. and go as macro as we can, and you look at a population that is the 55 and older group, you can see a fundamental difference between the people that have been yo-yoing mm. since they're in their 20s or teens and the people that have been consistent. The people that have been consistent look and feel great. They have a good relationship with their food. They work out and it's a regular part of their life, but it doesn't over consume them. And they also haven't been dogmatic about it for the last 40 years. Yeah. Whereas the, the opposite is true is, is, is true as well. Like if you look at the other side of the spectrum here of the people that still have a poor relationship with food, are will work out for a couple months a year and then take the rest of the year off. Those are the people that are not fit and healthy. So I think it's important to note that if the goal is to be the active grandparent, we have to take more of this like holistic long term approach to our health and fitness. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to my dad here for a minute. My dad is almost 60. He'll be 60 in you know, two, three weeks. And he's a bodybuilder used to compete in bodybuilding no longer competes now, but he's a jacked 60 year old. Okay, tan jacked 60 year old. And whenever we work out together, people will come up to him and say like, man, how, how old are you? And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm 60, whatever. And they're always very complimentary. And they're like, what's the secret, man? Like, what's how do you how do I look like that? How do I look like that at 60? And my dad's response every time is I've been lifting for 30 years. I've been doing this for 30 years. Oh, well, what's what's what diet do you follow? What what training do you follow? And he's like, I show up. I show up and I do whatever workouts I can at the strongest I can without putting myself in a position to get hurt. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he says now. He's like, I'm not even like my dad's a machine guy. He's like, I don't mess around with barbells. He uses dumbbells here or there, but like he's not doing barbell squats, barbell deadlifts. He's on machines. He's doing leg extensions. He's doing leg presses. He's doing, you know, tricep pushdowns on, on a, a, a machine and a machine preacher curl. He's a machine guy because he's like, I'm not going to get hurt. I don't need a spotter. I show up, 
I do what I need to do, eat in moderation. I allow myself to indulge when I can, but I eat healthy, you know, 80% of the time. And you just keep doing it day after day after day. And now he's got, you know, 30 years of, of muscle mass to show for it. And he's consistent and he's healthy. And so all of that to say, he, he's now an active grandparent chasing my babies around who doesn't have an issue sitting down on the floor and getting up or holding my babies or running around with them or walking up the stairs, holding my kids. And you know, he's not 85, he's 60. But all of that to say he's shown up and he's been consistent for 30 years in the gym. You know, it's so easy to look at that person and be like, what's the secret, man? And it's like, just keep showing up, keep and showing I, up in a way that feels good. And I love that for him. Uh, there's a point that was in there and I don't want it to go missed, which is there has been a huge push to talk about functional fitness. And I'm throwing mm. up air quotes here. And you mentioned that your dad spends 90% of his time on machines. Guys, I cannot stress this enough. Any type of fitness is functional if it allows you to move better for longer in your life, period. It doesn't matter what movements you focus on. It doesn't matter whether you choose to use barbells, dumbbells, machines, you name it. Any type of fitness is functional. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. So we've been trying to relate and i think we've been doing a good job of relating our own personal circumstances to some of the the common things that people face um and and by the by people i mean like our membership bases and the the audience here but i think there's a topic that's going to be one that we may not be able to empathize with people to a great level but one that i think is is something that people often face which is what advice do you have for people that are facing suboptimal environments be it at home or at work to where they're surrounded by things that are trying to pull them away from their goals and maybe by people that aren't being that supportive of their fitness journey? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that we have to keep in mind, and we chatted about this a little bit already, but one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that something is going to be better than nothing. And so I think we can get really caught up in comparing what someone else is doing, or even what a previous version of ourself was once able to do. You know, it's very easy to take the postpartum mom who's like, well, before babies, I was training five days a week and getting in four runs a week and lifting five days a week. And I was going to yoga twice a week. And like, I can't do any of that anymore. And so now they're choosing to do nothing, right? There's a middle ground. And I think it's a matter of people recognizing that it doesn't need to be what it once was. And you can be doing a version of what you were previously doing, and that would still be better than nothing. But there's absolutely a factor of whatever this chapter of life is going to allow you to do and allow you to be a part of. And so if this chapter of life means that you can get in one walk on your lunch break every day, and that's the extent of your fitness cool. That's better than not going on the walk at all. Is it as great as four, you know, training sessions? Maybe not. Maybe it's not as quote unquote optimal, right? But it's practical for you in this chapter of life. And so I really urge people to think about what is realistic for you? What is sustainable for you? What can you actually stick with? What feels good for you? Um, And that's what people have to move forward with. What I'm thinking about here is people that may have all of those things in line, but have a significant other at home that 
isn't mm. following suit. So the house is, you know, the, the fridge in the pantry is filled with tempting bad choices or, you know, people at work are picking on them because they're trying to lose weight. How should people go about navigating those circumstances? And again, because I, you and I are lucky that we have very supportive partners and yeah. we surround ourselves with very positive people. But I know that this is an issue for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is leading by example, you know, on the flip side of, I've, I've had people ask a good amount, you know, like I'm on this fitness journey, but my spouse is not right. And they're not on this fitness journey and they want no part of it. How do I make them go to the gym? How do I make them want to do this with me? And I'm like, you can't, you can't, they have to want it for themselves. But the best thing you could do is lead by example and be completely unbothered. And obviously that's easier said than done. But I think a part of it is you just have to keep your head down and keep doing it. And maybe at some point, very often, that person, that spouse or that significant other might end up saying at some point, Hey, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to come with you to the gym today. Or maybe you're preparing the meals and they're like, wow, I actually really like this butternut squash. What did, what did you say this was? What did, what did you season this with? I actually really like this. And so I think one of the best things you can do at home is to continue to lead by example and continue following through as best you can. And potentially some of that will rub off on someone else. And if not, that's okay. Like you, you don't have to have identical goals as the other person living in your house. I don't think that you could force something into the other person or change the way, you know, someone feels if they are unwilling to change. Um, I think that's a decision that they have to be a part of themselves. Um, and the fact of the matter is there will be people in your life who are unsupportive. You know, I, I was in college when I started my fitness journey and people made fun of me and my roommates made fun of me and people on Instagram made fun of me and laughed at me for having an Instagram account and sharing workouts and whatever else. And man, I'm pretty glad I didn't listen to them. You know, I'm pretty glad it didn't let, you know, it, it didn't stop me. And I know that that's hard. I wish there was a simple way for me to just be like, just ignore them because I know that that's hard. But at the end of the day, you have to follow through with what feels most aligned with you and what your long-term goals are, even if it means a little bit of short-term discomfort. Yeah. I think piece or a piece of this is in the willingness to both advocate for yourself and have the hard conversations up front. I think if that goes missing, it just allows, there hasn't been a line in the sand drawn. Whereas if you are, if you put yourself in the uncomfortable position to have those hard conversations, it'll make the rest of the journey much easier. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's one point I wanted to make. The other point is, it's also an, an imperative that you surround yourself with people that hmm. do support you. And this is the beauty of joining a new group, joining a new gym, right? Getting in as part of a collective of people who are like-minded and all working towards a better version of themselves is that it allows you to have this, this kind of safe space for you as it relates to your, your health and fitness. And I think that's a big reason why people sign up for coaching to begin with is they feel like they have this accountability partner and this coach who is guiding them and supporting them and, you know, ultimately kind of befriends them, right. And becomes this main character in their life for someone who is cheering them on and guiding them when there might otherwise not be that type of person in their life. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Last time we got on here, you know, we were speaking about our mutual empathy for new parents, right? And I was speaking about this, thinking about all of the changes that were going to take place in my life and also 
kind of picking your brain about what to expect as a new parent. And I think one of the things we highlighted was that our appreciation has grown so much for people that are you know, young adults that are starting families and have big career changes in the way that fitness fits as a piece into their life. Totally not, you know, it used to fit in totally differently. Now, with that said, you, you've been uh, pushing this kind of like slogan and mantra of do it tired. <laughs> For new parents. And I absolutely love it because what it highlights is the fact that this season of your life, you're very rarely are you going to feel like working out. (laughs) Can you talk more about where this came from and why you find it to be helpful? Yeah. So the do it tired mantra, um, actually kind of came about when I was postpartum now with my second baby, I used to transparently be of the mindset that if you didn't get enough sleep training was, it was out, it was off the table. And for a long time, I functioned that way. Like, Oh, if I got less than eight hours of sleep, or if I got less than, I I think my like minimum was six. And it was like, if I got less than six hours of sleep, training was off the table because it's just not going to be good for me. It's not going to be a good workout. My recovery is going to be crap. And I got to this point postpartum with my daughter, who's now seven months, my, my second baby. Um, I got to this point where I'm like, if I have that mentality, this go around, like it could be another six months before I exercise regularly again. This baby might not sleep through the night for a year. Like I'm not going to not train for a year because I got crap sleep. And so, you know, I think as a parent, especially with little babies, you start to learn that you can do things tired and you start to realize I can still get a training session in tired and I do everything else in my day tired. So why can't I train tired? I run businesses tired. I show up to be a parent tired. I show up to be a wife tired. I show up and get done what needs to get done in my day, in my home, in my work. And so why not make my training a priority again? Now, I still have limits to that, right? If I am up from, you know, 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. with the baby and it's one of those nights, then like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably taking a rest day. But I just no longer wanted to be stuck in this mindset of like, oh, no, I had to nurse the baby twice last night. So like, I'm not going to train today because that could go on for so long. And I started to realize that the benefits of training were still so much more advantageous than skipping that training for months and months on end for the sake of being tired. And so that's really how that mantra came about. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of saying we can do hard things. And so that mantra kind of combined with do it tired in we can do hard things when we're tired. And I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that we cannot wait for perfect circumstances in order to take action. Because if we were always waiting for the perfect night of sleep or the perfect day of macros the day before, or the perfect amount of hydration, and we have to have all of the stars aligning in order to get our training session in They're They're just never going to happen. They're not going to happen consistently. They're going to happen here or there. Um, and so we can't wait for perfect circumstances. We have to recognize that it's okay to do it tired. You can still eat well when you're tired. You could still move your body when you're tired. You can still get the job done when you're tired. And sometimes you're just going to have to do it tired. That's where that came from, I guess. I do want to point out there, there is a ma- massive difference between what you're talking about and 
people that insist on getting up at four in the morning to do a two a day workout, despite the fact that they slept five hours, right? What Joelle yes. is referring to here is doing what she can with what she has where she is, yes. right? And that is that is fundamentally different than trying mm-hmm. to overexert yourself and neglecting sleep. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because as I, when I start using the hashtag, do it tired, or like I write, do it tired on stories, um, the, it really gained a lot of traction, right? And there's a, a lot of people that use it now and they'll tag me, which is really cool. We made like sweatshirts that say, do it tired. It's a whole thing. Um, but with that, I always get people message me saying like, well, how do I know what what I should do tired? How do I know what's too tired? And, and I'm like, what my, what I can do tired might be different than what you can do tired. You know, I can't tell you what you can or can't complete, you know, and, and it, it started to come with questions like, well, what if I'm, you know, what if I have hormone issues? Should I still do it tired? What if I have Hashimoto's? Should I still do it tired? What if I'm missing a period? Should I still do it tired? What if my baby was up four times? Should I still do it tired? And I'm like, I, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you what too tired is for you. I know that there is a brink of what I can complete tired. And the more I show up and do it tired, the more I realize just how much I can actually complete. Yes, I'm not talking about, you know, run your body into the ground and do two a days and mind over matter. And it doesn't matter how tired are you are. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't say this from a, a standpoint of, you know, your excuses are bullshit, you know, sort of thing. I more so mean do it tired as a motto for encouragement that you can do hard things and you could do them when you're tired and you can still show up for yourself the way that you show up and do everything else in your life. We go to work tired all the time. We take care of our kids tired all the time. You can get in your training session tired too. Yeah. And guys, it's important to note here that we're not perfect in our own calibration of what we can do day to day. Correct. depending on our own levels of fatigue. So a good example of this is like, I will have times where I'm exhausted. And for whatever reason, something pisses me off. And I convince myself that I need to do this like 30 minute, really hard circuit at the gym. And I get halfway through and I'm like, you're a dummy. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the opposite of what you need right now. So like, we don't shoot 100. Right? right. And I'm sure you can agree to this. Like there are yep. probably times where you, you get to the gym and you start your routine and, and you realize, okay, wow, this was a little too much for me today. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And there's plenty of times that I go in and, or, or maybe don't even want to go. And my, my, uh, fallback plan when I don't want to go is just do the warm up. just do the warm up. And 99% of the time you go in and you do the warm up, and then you're like, okay, fine. I'm just going to do one exercise. And if I don't feel good after that one exercise, I'll leave. Then you do your one exercise, your three sets. And you're like, okay, fine. One more exercise. I'm just going to do two sets. And then you do two sets and you're like, okay, fine. I'll do a third set. Okay, fine. I'll just do one more exercise. And I know I, that's, that's my way of, uh, doing the workout that I don't want to do. I'm like, at least just do the warm up. Just, just go and start on the treadmill. Just start walking for 10 minutes and see how you feel. Usually then you're there. You see some of your gym buddies. You're like, oh, okay. Like that person's doing legs today. Oh, I want to go say hi to that friend over there. Oh, that, that guy's looking awesome. That's making me want to lift a little bit. And then you're now you're in the gym environment. You're warmed up a little. You're like, I'm there. And 99% of the time you're going to get that workout in. And maybe it's that, you know, you're not going to do six exercises today. Maybe you drop it down to three or four, or maybe instead of four sets, you do three today. Cause you're like, I'm feeling really shot and really fatigued and I'm here and I'm showing up and I'm going to do the damn thing. And today's not a PR day. 
but I'm still here and I'm going to do it. I like to call those my maintenance workouts. Those are like, we're not getting worse. We're not getting better, but like we're here doing it. That's, that's my mantra on those days that I just don't feel like it, but I want to show up for myself. Yeah. And a small benefit I've noticed for myself on those days where I am absolutely exhausted and I don't want to, to work out by just forcing myself to go to the gym, I get mm-hmm. like an extra 4,000 steps in yeah. that day because yep. I mean, we're in a 10,000 square foot building. I'm walking around and talking to people. I have to walk to different machines. So it's like, even if I have a suboptimal workout, I still have a major contribution towards my overall health. And and one of the things I love about this mantra is that it is this this great interplay between tough love and grace in the way that it's kind of the kick in the butt you need when you don't feel like doing something to do it, just at least do something. But at the same time, it's the grace that you're providing to yourself in not feeling like you need to stick to the plan. You have to do every little thing. You got to go over and beyond for your fitness and health. And I think that that's a really important, it's like setting bumpers for yourself. Never too little, never too much. Yep. Yeah. We like to call that grit versus grace, right? It's kind of this balance of grit versus grace. You understand that there are limits and there are boundaries to what you can do, but it's also just this sort of self-encouragement that like you could do it. I know it's hard. It sucks today, but you could do it. You'll be okay. And you'll be better for it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's permission to not be perfect. Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Well, Joel, this was, this has been a blast. I feel like we could have picked five more topics and kept going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, always. Look, it's, it's a really good conversation. And we both, I think, think similarly when it comes to wanting to see people uh, prioritize their health and their fitness in a way that is enjoyable and sustainable for them. Because we, we know, and what we have seen as coaches in our, in our professional and personal experiences is that the people who are most successful, in being fit for life are the people who are doing the things that they enjoy and showing up even when they are not feeling joy. It feels good for them most of the time and they're able to stick to it most of the time. That's what counts and that's what works. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, speaking back to that, you know, 60, 70 year old that's still trucking along, adherence is the biggest one. Yep, yeah, showing Fantastic. up. Showing up, yep. doing it tired. Showing up, doing it tired. Well, I know you probably got a lot of uh, our people following you from the last time, but let everyone know again uh, where they can find out more about what you do. Yeah, sure. So uh, Instagram is at Joelle Samantha. The coaching company that I own is Level 10 Coaching, T-E-N, not the number. Uh, T-E-N is an acronym for Training, Education, and Nutrition, if you did not know that. Um, So at Level 10 Coaching on Instagram or at Joelle Samantha, you could find me there. And if you listen in, please shoot me a DM. Let me know that you listen in. Let me know if it was helpful. Let me know if you hated it. Um, And then I'll never come back and it'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) i'll have you back anyway (laughs) there we go (laughs) thanks for having me derek absolutely thanks for jumping on if you feel like the gym is one big confusing and intimidating playground a personalized coach from hardbat athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan you'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.